Thank you for listening to this message from The Resting Place Tampa. We exist for the lost to be found, the found to be free, and peace to reign in our city. For more great resources like this, check out TheRestingPlaceTampa.com. My name is Scott Smiley. I'm executive pastor here, and uh, it's been my pleasure to serve uh, Caleb, the leadership team, and you. And uh, I, I just, I'm excited about the series that we've been in, uh, the series on, on miracles. And uh, I just, we want to go deeper today. We want to just come back and circle around to one of the miracles that, that Caleb had talked about. And uh, who loves miracles? Right? Isn't this, it's a fun series, right? So we've got all of these um, different amazing ways that Jesus shows up and helps us learn about the kingdom. I don't know. We've got a, a mixed generation here. When I was a kid, we would go on car trips, and there would be... Uh, Paul Harvey, and he would talk about the rest of the story. And so if, if that's not part of, like, your construct, there was this guy <laughs> who would tell you the rest of the story, right? So there would be headlines. <clears throat> and so a lot of times today, you, I mean, we only read headlines anymore, right? I mean, it's like 128 characters or less, like, give me the nugget, let me move on. But there's a richness in the stories of finding out, like, what happened to these people? You saw a headline, you saw something, and then it's like, what happened to that person? Right? There's the rest of the story. And so as we look <clears throat> and at these different miracles that Caleb's been walking us through, you know, he's had to say, this really happened, right? These are not the parables, the stories, the fictional stories that Jesus is telling to make a point. These are stories that were really happening to to give us a picture of what is possible of how Jesus's heart is for us and how he comes in and connects with us you have water to wine you have healing the lame you have feeding the 5000 you have healing the the um, roman officer's son and in each of those i just want you to start thinking when you read the bible when you read these stories there's the rest of the story Right? What happened to these people? And some of it, obviously, that's going to be extra biblical. But it's an opportunity for you to dialogue with God and go, they encountered you in this moment. What was it like for them afterward? So today, I want to go back to John 5 and the healing of the lame man. And we're going to just unpack a couple different things in this story. But we're going to read through it so that we can, everybody can kind of be, catch up and be on the same page. In John 5, uh, it says, this is a New Living Translation. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the Pool of Bethsaida and with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. That's a long time. For 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew that he had been ill for a long time, he asked him this really bizarre question. 
Would you like to get well? I mean, 38 years. This guy's been struggling with this. 38 years of having to have someone drag him out to these pools. 38 years of other people getting in the pool quicker. 38 years of just going, does anybody even notice? And then some guy, because he didn't know it was Jesus, some guy shows up and says, do you want to get well? I mean, there's parts like, yeah. That, like, how is that even a question? But if you look, Jesus says, would you like to get well? And he responds with excuses. I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. I was thinking when I was in law school, um, there was a group of us, and our first semester was really probably one of the most challenging because there was no, like, quizzes. There was no, great, like, tests in the middle. You had one three-hour exam at the end that your whole semester's grade wrote on. So everyone was, like, stressed. And one of the things that we would tell ourselves, I'm not sure if it was to motivate us or to just kind of give you a little kick in the rear, but it was your excuses are your own. You got to own why, 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 why can't, why can't this happen? And we were just like, I, I don't know why you, you're not studying extra, why you're not showing up in class. Your excuses are your own. And there's a part in this, like, we have to sometimes recognize, what excuses am I giving God when he's calling us? When he's saying, do you want to get well? Because here's the thing. There's a cost to the freedom. In America, we celebrate our veterans. We, we say, freedom isn't free. Right? It came at the blood of patriots. It came by those that sacrificed for us. It came with those that stand on the wall in the dark nights on our behalf. Freedom's not free. And for us, for the people that are saying, I am hungering, I want to see miracles, it's not free. And typically, this part of the conversation then goes to the sacrifice that Christ made. Right? The cross, the burial, the resurrection, the price he paid for us. But it's not free for you either. For this gentleman, he had, his life totally changed. Everything changed for him. Let's keep reading. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Jesus totally ignored his excuses. Aren't you grateful he ignores your excuses? <laughs> well, Jesus, I can't do that. I don't speak well. I don't sing well. I'm a little pitchy dog. You know, it's just kind of like I don't do that, whatever it is he's calling you to do. Let him speak to you. If you notice, there wasn't like a long counseling session. There wasn't even like a deliverance. There wasn't like all this. It was just a command. Stand up. 
Some of you need to stand up. It's time. It's time. Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But the miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. Isn't this always the way it goes? You start to hear the call of God. You start to take action. And everybody's like, well, you can't do that. You don't have a Bible degree. You don't. You know, pick, pick the excuse. Uh, there's always people. And these were the religious leaders. This wasn't like the Roman guards. These were people that you thought may be the ones to encourage you in right living. You can't do this. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing? Right? We need to have a level of discernment and conviction that when God speaks to us, we are confident enough to look the questioners in the eye. This is what I've been heard. This is what I was told. But he didn't know it was Jesus. He just knew he had a radical encounter with someone and the power of God hit him and his life changed. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. And then that man went and told the leaders it was Jesus who healed him. Did anybody ever read that and go, stop sinning or something worse may happen? Like, that always troubled me. I was like, all right, God is love, but it's going to get worse if you don't knock that stuff off. And then the Lord started showing me as I was preparing for this, in this, stop sinning. And I started thinking about, like, what is it to sin? This person had just had an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus comes to him and says, stop sinning so something worse doesn't happen. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, the sin was when Adam and Eve rejected God and said, I want to know. I want the knowledge myself. Separate from God, I want to know what is good and what is evil. Right? We think of sin as just the evil part. Well, if you don't do evil and you do good, guess what? You're still on the wrong tree. You're still on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God is saying, I'm giving you life. You're so worried about what's right and wrong. Look at me. Let me live through you. If I live through you, you won't sin. So sometimes we get stuck. We have this supernatural, miraculous encounter with God. And he says, walk. And you start walking. But all of the mindsets that you had for 38 years of laying there are still there. If you think about your day and you remember what it was like when you just woke up this morning, it's probably the typical way you wake up, at least on Sundays. And maybe you have like the weekend schedule and the weekday schedule. But they estimate 70 and it's probably even closer to 90% of your day is run by habit. Right? You're, if you had to think about every decision that you make, like, all right, I'm going to brew my coffee this way, and then I'm going to walk to the fridge, I'm going to get the creamer, I'm going to put the creamer in the coffee, then I'm going to go get a spoon, I'm going to stir. Like, you start going, oh, my gosh, 
all of those little decisions. Your brain just puts that all on autopilot, right? It's habit. That way you don't think about it. You're just like getting up. Have you, I've had times where in the morning, I can't figure out how I actually got to work, <laughs> right? You just uh, like, you kind of become aware and you're like, I'm pretty sure I drove the cross town and I got here, but I really don't remember, right? Your brain is on autopilot, That was a long time ago. That wasn't recent. (laughs) But we have habits. And so you have the supernatural miraculous encounter that God calls you and radically changes your life. But those habits. Because there was a cost that this gentleman had to pay. Which is why Jesus asked him, do you want to get well, because sometimes your identity is so tied up in your disability, in your, in your sin, in your situation, you can't see yourself not having this. And so God says, do you want to be well? And you're like, I don't know. I might actually have to get up and get a job. That's what this guy is going to have to do. Right? You've had people drag you out, lay you down in this place, and drag you home in the evening and give you a snack. Now you've got to get up. Now you've got to think about, like, I've got to go to Publix. How am I going to get to Publix? I've got to go buy a car. I've got to learn how to drive. I've got to learn how to take care of myself. I mean, if you think about, in, in our context, in our life, all the different things that someone would have to learn, there's lots of skill just to go from being an invalid to being functional. And, and so, it, you know, there's, there's a cost to having God supernaturally show up and set you free. And we want to say yes, but we, but we don't want to be naive. You know, I, I saw this uh, phrase, and it just kind of stuck with me. You can uh, sub out, you can hire people to do a lot of things for you, but no one can do your push-ups for you. I mean, they kind of have those, like, East M things where people are, like, sitting there and they got the little, like, <laughs> right? I got big muscles because I'm sitting on the couch eating chips, like. <laughs> but you're not going to be fit, right? You got to do the reps. You got to do the reps. And I think there's part that, especially when we have a culture like we do here that is so focused on believing God for the supernatural, we sometimes skip the fact that even after the supernatural comes, the extraordinary, there's still the ordinary that his extra was coming on. And so we want, I want to just encourage you as we come in this season of going, I believe we're going to see greater miracles and we're going to be seeing and we're going to be believing and we're going to be pushing for the cutting edge prophetic in Tampa. We want to see amazing moves of God, but we don't want to be naive and be unable to steward the after effects. Because there's, there's this call and, and, and <clears throat> I think this is, where we've seen things in the past break down, where sometimes we get a little cynical. We're like, well, I really, I felt God. I thought he was moving. But, but what happened was there was trouble stewarding the after. It's all cool in the moment, 
And then we go, I had to wake up and put my shoes on the same way today that I did yesterday. And it becomes, we, we get sometimes disillusioned with the ordinary, but the success in life often comes from the ordinary. If you're going to be a successful runner, you, there's one thing you need to do. Run. <laughs> right? I mean, you kind of go, yeah. But sometimes we're confused in Christian circles. Uh, Jesus is going to just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to magically appear at the finish line. It was really cool. My, uh, my oldest son, who's 11, was in the first gathering, and he was explaining to his brother, who was in the CEC, a little bit about the message. And so Luke was trying to figure out what Gideon was telling him. And he goes, so what you're saying is I can't not study for an exam and ask for a miraculous A. That's it. That's it. Right? And so there's part that sometimes we, we want to press in. And, and I want to just encourage you that as we see and as we push into honoring everyone, having faith for everyone and empowering people, that we're able to do that at a level of excellence. Because for me, one of the hardest things, it, it, sort of, you know, in the South, when, when people don't know what to say with something dumb, they just go, bless your heart. <laughs> and I've had a lot of these moments, sometimes in Christian circles, where I just don't know what to say because there's such a, a, a disconnect between, I love Jesus, but I still act like I don't know him in all these areas. And it's just kind of like, oh, bless your heart. I don't know if I'm going to do ministry with that person. Because I don't want to get tied up in this drama. Some of you are addicted to drama. You can't imagine life. If Jesus said, you are healed of drama in your life, you're going to have like rational people in their sound mind around you, you would go find drama. Or you would be the drama. Because it is so much a part of you that what would it be like if there wasn't a crisis every, like, ten minutes? Oh, it's kind of boring and ordinary. I don't, I'm not going from miracle to miracle. You're not going from miracle to miracle. You're going from drama to drama. And you got a bunch of crazy in your life. And God is saying, what would happen? Do you want to be well? Do you want to operate out of a sound mind? Some of you, I'm not sure. Because there's adventure, there's adrenaline. It's kind of exciting. We got all this stuff that we got to deal with, like right now. You go, but Jesus says, I've come to give you peace. And as Caleb was, was teaching us, you can walk above the chaos. It's not that life gets drama free, but it's going, how is your heart stewarding this? You know, this, this gentleman that got healed, he had to learn skills. Getting up, going to sleep, shopping, working, resting, managing his life for more than scraps. Some of you have had hard lives. And you've been told you're only worth scraps. And Jesus is saying, do you want to be well? That's not how the kingdom works. The kingdom isn't about scraps. 
When you are royalty, it's different. You dress different. You hold yourself different. <laughs> yes, ma'am. You hold yourself. You, you, you don't just kind of like schlup through life as a prince or a princess. It's, it's different. And so part of what we want to impart to you is in your identity in Christ as a royal son and daughter of the king, act like who you are. Because we work, we work from rest. The biggest tension that I had in preparing this was going, this is the resting place. And this is a message to kick you in the butt and get you going. And I've been wrestling with this tension. But there's a part that it's not, you're not working for approval. You're not working for your salvation. But you are from a place that says, you know, we're seeing all this kind of drama in the news right now with, with uh, Harry and the, as a prince in England. And I don't know what his title is moving to as he's moving to Canada and whatever else. But you go, you can't change the fact of who his parents were. And the life that he's had and the experiences that he's had that's made him who he is. And for us, there's the discipleship process. The discipline of the Lord is loving to call you to say, you are a prince. You are a princess. You act different. You don't get involved. I was going to say in the petty drama, they got a lot of that. and (laughs) uh, Sometimes with the royalty. But you're going, I don't deal with the little distractions because I'm, I'm, we're, we're dealing with, with kingdom things. We're dealing with the royalty things. We're dealing with heads of state. When I grew up, I grew up in a very legalistic, Old Testament-focused church. But one of the things that was good that really came out of it was our, the, the lead... Um, he called himself an apostle, but it, it's very different than how we teach it here. Uh, but he met with heads of state. He met, like, kings, presidents, and he came back, and he was like, I want to teach you how to have dinner, how to eat on China that has gold trim, how to have crystal glasses, what it's like to have a fine meal. Because it elevates how you think about things to go, this is how royalty works. This is what excellence looks like. I'm going to jump ahead in my notes and then come back. First Kings 10. This is when the Queen of Sheba came to Solomon. Right? So now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. I can only imagine how long that took. And Solomon... This is how you know you have wisdom. Solomon answered all her questions, and there was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen 
all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, the burnt offerings, there was no more breath in her. She saw excellence that took her breath away. And she said to the king, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and your wisdom, but I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told to me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpasses the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. This is what we want to have everybody say. Blessed be the Lord your God who is delighted in you. Do you live your life with such excellence that people are like, blessed be the Lord who delights in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel, he has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. And then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a great quantity of spices and precious stones. And never again came such an abundance of spices as these that the Queen of Sheba gave to the King of Solomon. There was excellence. Sometimes we, we, we take our faith and we misuse grace to cover the fact that we didn't really put our best effort into something. It's not grace for lazy And there's a part of me that gets really frustrated with the church that I see. And part of what we do here, the the worship teams, they do such excellent work. Why? Because we want you to come and go, there is a God because of the excellence in worship that I encountered. That's why I speak and I don't sing, right? I sing, and you're like, oh, that was not excellent. I don't know if I want to come here. Right? There's, there's certain, everybody has gifts, and you want people to be operating in their gift at a level of excellence that draws them so that people say, blessed be the Lord, because I know that God had to show up for this to be this amazing. That's what we want. Right? In Proverbs 10.4, it says, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Proverbs 12, 24, the hand of the diligent will rule, but the lazy man will be put to forced labor. Proverbs 21, 5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. And in the New Covenant, New Testament, 2 Thessalonians three ten, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. That's a plumb line that our society is trying to figure out. How do we meet that? How do we help people? How do we call people up who fall into a lazy category to say, what if you, what if you had a vision of your life that included diligence? It, it, it didn't say, like, the smartest. The smartest will be wealthy, will lead, will rule. The diligent Right? We had the, the, the feeding of the 5,000. 
what's in your hand? Can you be diligent with what is in your hand that God has given you now? And as you are diligent with that, that becomes the ordinary that he puts his extra on. The natural that the super comes on. If we are not diligent now, right? The parable with the stewards, they get cities as a reward for the stewarding of their finances. How are you stewarding your finances? How are you stewarding your car? Will your city be as clean as your car? Or your house? If you're going to be leading a city and your house is a mess, there's a diligence that we learn now. And whether that was in, in the parable, whether cities was figurative or not, I tend to think that it was literal. But even if it was figurative, the, the principle of how are you stewarding what you've been given now carries over. There are things that, you know, we get excited when we talk about heaven and every tear will be wiped away and everything will be good. But I think that in, when I think about this, the reason that there are challenges for us today, the reason we do the push-ups today, we do the reps today to be strong is because that is what carries over. Your character carries over. If you are a just-get-by Christian here, what's carrying over? In Exodus 31, this is the part in in Exodus where they are preparing to build uh, the tabernacle. And I just want to plug the part of this um, I got from Caleb when he was teaching at the quarterly serve team training uh, a couple times ago. So if you're on a serve team, we have extra trainings for you where we go deeper. So you should be on a serve team and come to these trainings. But I'm going to let you in on, on, on what it was. And we were talking, uh, Caleb was talking, and, and in the law of first mentions, anytime something is mentioned first in the Bible, you want to pay attention to because it sets the lens that you read the rest of the Bible through. Right? So it's really important to go, what is the first time it says someone was filled with the Spirit of God? Right? That's a big part of what we do here. We want you to connect with Jesus. We want you to be filled with Jesus. We want you to be encountering Holy Spirit. In Exodus 31, it says, The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs to work in gold and silver and bronze and cutting stones for setting and carving wood and to work in every craft. And behold, I've appointed with them Aholiab, son of Hishamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to every able man ability that they may make all I have commanded you. And he goes on to list all this. But here's the thing. God will give you the ability to fulfill the call that he has. 
But I always have to look at it. Bezalel, you know, that just rolls off your tongue. Bezalel still had to make the stuff. There's a part. There's the miraculous divine dropping in of skill, ability, intellect, wisdom. But the guy still had to make a fire and smelt the gold and the silver and the bronze and carve it and take the time to do that and equip the other team members and to grow his team and lead that. And and there's a part that it's like you have the miracle and then you have the walking it out. The miracle and the walking it out. And so I just want to encourage you, as we're praying for miracles, it's not free. Because your habits have to change. The way you're attacking life, the way you're dealing with your peers, your family, has to change because you've had this miracle. Or something worse may happen. Not a threat. It's just going, listen, we're describing reality. It's not prescriptive, it's descriptive. This is not a certain thing, but if you don't let the change change you, it'll be like a dog going back to its puke. Right? Being filled with the Spirit of God came ability, intelligence, knowledge, craftsmanship. We were called to do good works. Let's do them with excellence. I've been in a lot of churches that get super excited about Acts 2. Acts 2 is amazing, right? That's when the Holy Spirit falls. Peter preaches. They get a mega church in a day. 3,000 people give their lives to the Lord. It's so good. And, And I totally get it. And I'm not knocking Acts 2. Like, that is an amazing part. But just like the rest of this, keep reading. They're going, and they got the honeymoon period. And in Acts 3 and Acts 4 and 5, they're sharing things. Those that have resources are making sure that those that are struggling are taken care of. And it's, everybody's working together. And then there's Acts 6. Oh, Acts 6. Right now you've got administrative problems. The Greek widows are not being taken care of the way the Hebrew widows are. And it caused such a fuss that they had to appoint seven administrators. This is where our deacons, the concept of deacons, come from. They're administrators to go, we got to make sure that how we're stewarding the blessings of God is consistent. That we don't have favoritism within the body of Christ. That there are some that are being well-fed and some that are getting missed. I mean, when you go back to the miracle of feeding the 5,000, why did Jesus have everybody sit down in rows? So you could make sure that people weren't like looping the line, right? And other people were going hungry, right? He had order and administration. Because sometimes in our miraculous supernatural culture, we expect that there would be no administration or structure. It's just like, woo, and then we go, woo, and then the day, woo, and you're like, is is anything actually going to get done? We want the woo, but we want stuff done, right? And that's, that's how the fivefold works together. And that's when you look at the spiritual gifts, you have, you have evangelists and you have disciplers. In our group, I'm like, Sandy, bring them in. We'll, I'll, we'll disciple them. I'll, I'll run how we're going to clean them. You catch them, I'll clean them. 
Then we'll have fish sandwiches, right? Because there's, there's a process, and it's going, each of you have a role, and it doesn't denigrate someone else's role to go, you can't do that alone. You've got to be part of a team. You've got to be part of a body. That's why we're all needed, right? That whole weird anatomy lesson. Can the eye say to the ear, I don't need you? Can the toe say to the, you know, like, you go through the Bible, and you're like, Thanks for the anatomy, but like, you know, but the whole point is going, everything works together and different is good. If we were all the same, I mean, you got a bunch of eyeballs all sitting here, right? I mean, it's kind of odd. And you can't, you can't go anywhere because you're just looking. <laughs> and so there's, there's part like, we want these pictures for you to go, it's okay. This is probably one of the most diverse churches I have ever been a part of. And it's good. And we celebrate that. But what that means is people are different. And you got to kind of roll with going, that's not how I would do that. But we want to set a standard that says we're all striving for excellence. We want people to come here and go, God be praised. Because this was done with excellence. There's challenges with growth. You know, we need, we need surf team members for Saturday night and to replace the ones on Sunday that went to Saturday and the CEC. There's, there's opportunities here to practice. The reason we have these opportunities at church is for you to practice the discipline. Show up on time. Stay true to your commitment. Make decisions. How do, you, how do you manage those sort of elements? Because the, the habit that you build and what we want to cultivate here, we also want to carry over so that you show up on time at work, that you get to class on time, that you do your homework, that you finish your project, whatever it is. It's, it's a calling of the body into excellence to say, would someone look at this and go, that must be a prince or princess? That's how royalty would do it. It's beautiful. We have a lot of challenges in our community. And we have a big vision here. We want to eliminate human trafficking in Tampa. We want to eliminate poverty. I guess I'll probably give a a trigger warning. What I'm about to say next may trigger some of you. But best way out of poverty is to get a job. Right? That's what the Proverbs were all saying. Be diligent. Do work. But we have to give people skills. We have to connect with people to get a vision to see that this is a better way. Not to condemn them, but to go, there's a way. There's a way that works. There's a podcast I listen to, and the the host, Ray Edwards, says, Capitalism is the only economic form that allows for the creation of wealth without conquering or dominating others to take their wealth. Capitalism is the only economic form that allows for the creation of wealth without conquering or dominating others, often violently, to take their wealth. And there's a lot of issues. We've got a lot of politics that are happening this year. But we got to go, how do we create a vision that says 
here's a path out of, out of poverty. How do we equip people? Not to leave them, but how do we equip them to say, there is a way. You know, the, if you look, like, how many, there's, what, three or four companies now that have, like, a trillion-dollar value on the stock exchange? Like, Amazon, Google, Apple, uh, Microsoft. That wealth was created by creating value. In the mind of someone was an idea that they manifested that created value that wasn't there before. And so whether you like capitalism or not, the, the, the point is not to talk about today's politics, but to go, how does the Spirit of God inspire you to create value in a way that creates an abundance in your life? We want, we pray, right? We pray for abundance. We pray for provision. We pray for the healing. But it's going, God, would you show me how a kingdom person thinks so that a kingdom person brings a kingdom to solution, a kingdom solution to the problem that is stuck in the natural? And our politicians and our leaders are struggling to figure this out. And we go, this is what I see. This is a way to do it. This is how we can do it with excellence so that God is glorified. Our choices have consequences. And that's always a challenging piece to think about when, when we pray for a miracle and it comes, the choices that we make afterward create their own downstream result. And, and I just I want to encourage you. This isn't a, 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 a condemnation, but this is an encouragement to say, choose wisely, right? Life and death are in the power of the tongue. This day... I'd say you have the option to choose life and death, right? In Joshua, right? You have a leadership shift. Moses dies, Joshua comes in. This day I set before you life and death. Life to be with God. Death, a life without God. Choose this day who you will serve. Choose life. God loves you so much. He wants you to have the freedom to choose. But freedom isn't free. It's love that drives freedom. And it, it's heartbreaking to see freedom abused. But if you try to control the situation, you took the freedom away. And it's such a tension in our heart to go, I don't want anybody to hurt. But if you control them, they are hurt. You got to let go. There's a cost to freedom, but it's worth it to make the choices, to, to, to do the reps, to say, I will choose righteousness. I will choose justice. I will take up the cause of the oppressed. Let's do that as a, as a, as a family, as a body of believers. I want to see Tampa changed. We have this incredible vision statement online. Caleb's read it a few times. It, it will take you a while to get through it. But go back and revisit it because the solutions don't come from the people on the stage here. They come from you. 
This isn't you just get on with our vision. We're going, this is a vision that we see that we're declaring over the community, but it's up to everybody to go, how do we eliminate poverty? I don't know. I'm part of a business that has 100 employees out in Tulsa, Oklahoma. That's 100 families whose lives are better. It takes sometimes going, how do we, how do we help people? Maybe it's, a, maybe it's jobs. Maybe it's training. Maybe it's education. Maybe it's helping them heal from the past. There's a lot of different ways, and God has all these different people. Every single person here is a solution. You are a divine solution to the problems in your sphere of influence. There's a cost to freedom, but it's worth it. It's kingdom living with kingdom diligence with kingdom consequences. Thank you for listening to this message from The Resting Place Tampa. We exist for the lost to be found, the found to be free, and peace to reign in our city. For more great resources like this, check out TheRestingPlaceTampa.com.